Welcome to Made It Happen Podcast, the podcast highlighting female entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Sarah Hayfling, and I'm so excited to be partnering with the Libro Epic Social Impact Initiative. More than ever, we face several social and environmental changes across the globe. These challenges are often complex, multi-layered, and have great impact on local and global communities and regions. Social entrepreneurship welcomes changemakers to be strategic and creative in tackling some of these challenges and are usually known for implementing widespread improvements in society. Through the partnership with Epicenter and Libro Credit Union, we'll be highlighting local social enterprises every month on the 15th. Let's hear how these social enterprises made it happen. Today, I'll be speaking with Ali and Dane. Dane is the founder of Greener Bins, a business making composting easy. It's a residential waste pickup company, which has now expanded to commercial and institutional pickups. They also are growing fresh produce from the composted soil and giving it back to the community. Allie is the founder of Grown Lady Garments, an online hub where women can shop, create, and connect about sustainability, creativity, and feminism. It is a sustainable clothing company here in Windsor, Ontario. We will be talking about the creation of their company and how they saw a gap in the market for these two industries, how they are educating the community on having a more sustainable lifestyle, their experience with Epicenter and the programs they participated in, and how they both work together on their social enterprises. So how about we start off by having you each tell us a little bit about yourselves and your businesses. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I guess I will go first. Um, so my name's Dane, uh, and uh, I started Greener Bins Compost in the summer of 2018 uh, in response to the lack of a municipal organic waste management service uh, locally. So Windsor Essex, there's like 400,000 people, um, and uh, about 50% of what we send to our regional landfill is, uh, is compostable. It's, it's 50% of what we're sending to the landfill doesn't actually have to be there. Um, so I did some traveling after high school. I lived in a couple uh, different places, but no matter where I went, um, there was a municipal green bin program. You know, anytime you take a bite of an apple, you put the core in the green bin, not the garbage. Uh, this blew my mind. You know, I, w- I grew up in Windsor, Essex, so I never had a green bin. It wasn't something I thought about. Um, but after kind of traveling and living all over, I came back and, uh, you know, made mom happy. I went to university. It was great. Um, and uh, I was doing environmental studies. And in one of my classes, they were discussing the problem of food waste um, and how, uh, you know, it's, it's this really big problem that is being experienced on a, you know, on a global scale, but really locally, it's, it's something that isn't and wasn't being discussed. So I thought, gee, you know, I lived in all these places where it was so easy to compost, you know, you just throw it in uh, throw your food waste in a bin and it gets taken away. But for me, uh, it, it was it was really difficult because not everybody can compost in the backyard, et cetera. And if there's no municipal service, then, uh, you know, how, what are you supposed to do with your food waste? So that was sort of the start of the journey as I thought, wow, if it happens in other places, why isn't it happening here? And if no one else is doing it, could I do it? So that was sort of the beginning of the framework of, of moving forward. Uh, flash forward uh, two and a half years and, uh, you know, we work with about uh, 350 households, um, some restaurants. Uh, we had schools pre-COVID, and we're hoping that'll come back. <laughs> uh, you know, a couple of uh, institutions, things like that, where we pick up food waste, bring it to, uh, to our farm where we process it into compost, 
And then we use that compost on the farm to grow food. And we also donate it back to the local community, school gardens, community gardens, things like that, um, to, you know, enrich local soil and, uh, you know, sort of do our part for the environment while, you know, all the while growing good food and sort of working to solve the food waste crisis. So that's what Greener Bins is all about. And that's kind of how it got started. <laughs> So uh, my business is called Grown Lady Garments, and uh, Dane actually helped me come up with a name. He bought me this little magnet um, that says, you're a grown-ass lady, and you can do what you want. And I'm like, I'm a grown-ass lady, and I deserve to know where my clothes come from. <laughs> um, and that was something that really um, hit me a few years back, probably about five or six years ago, maybe more. Um, I started looking into the sustainable fashion industry, or the fa fast fashion at first. Um, and I started thrifting and kind of talking about it. I'm a journalist and a writer, um, first and foremost. So I started writing a lot about, um, fast fashion and kind of the environmental impacts of fast fashion on the environment. And, you know, we both lived in, in Nova Scotia for a bit and there were so many boutiques focusing on sustainable fashion. And I remember going into this one store, um, at the time it was called Make New and they had all these beautiful brands and I remember thinking, like, why is this one dress $160? Like, I'd never spent that much on a dress unless it was for a formal or something super fancy. And I never really thought about, you know, the cost of clothing, because even with thrifting, things are pretty cheap, right? You can buy things for $10, $20, $30 at most. And um, yeah, I never really thought about it. But um, the staff at the shop Make New really educated me on some of the, again, impacts of, of fast fashion and how thrifting, you know, was a really, really great step, but how sustainable fashion was not only about the environment, but really about kind of this non-toxic movement and putting natural fabrics on our bodies. And at the time I was a student, so I couldn't really afford it, but I remember going back and looking at the same dress and eventually like two years after that, I ended up buying it and I still have it and it's the best dress um, that I have. And moving back to Windsor, similarly to Dane, um, there was just nowhere in Windsor that I could shop for these basic sustainable pieces. And it seemed like a really simple thing, right? Like I want to buy a good quality piece and I couldn't do it. And the program at the Epicenter, um, the Libro Social Enterprise program was starting and Dane said to me, he's like, you should just go for it and pitch this business. And it seemed like something so small and maybe not insignificant, but just something that I didn't think was going to make a huge difference. But, you know, we wear clothing every day and, and so many of us don't know how it's made and where it's made and who makes it and what the impact of the fabric that we wear has on the environment and on our bodies. Um, so yeah, I really, I love, um, yeah, educating people on sustainable fashion and, and what it can do for us and the environment. So yeah, I guess both were kind of born from seeing a lack in Windsor and wanting to bring something that we lived with somewhere else here and bring it to people in Windsor. Amazing. Well, I really love both of those stories and, you know, I'm excited to learn more also about, you know, fast fashion and sort of how you went about really building your business to, you know, make that difference in the community, which both of them definitely are. And, you know, starting with greener bins, can you tell me a bit, you know, you'd said you saw this issue and, you know, when there wasn't that municipal service that was offering it, you thought, you know, can I do this? What was your sort of first steps with after that with how you really started building that business and, you know, um, making it into what it is today? 
it was pretty wild <laughs> in the beginning. And it certainly didn't progress in any sort of well-planned out uh, or, or uh, efficient way, I would say. Uh, basically what happened is uh, I put it out on Facebook that I wanted to do something about the food waste problem. Um, and I, I basically just asked friends and family, like, hey, you know, would, would you pay me if I picked up your food waste and composted it for you and then gave the compost back? Um, I thought that was a wild question and I thought <laughs> nobody was ever going to be cool with that, let alone actually want to pay me $30 a month for it. Um, but a whole bunch of people said that that was a great idea. And, uh, you know, I, I felt really supported by my community off the, you know, from, from the very start. And really I just posted it on my personal Facebook and Instagram. I just said, Hey, I'm thinking about this. Has anybody thought about this? What if I did this? What do you think? <laughs> there was such a positive response. I thought, okay, you know, I don't want to take too many risks, but maybe I could start to do something simply. I mean, I was still in school. Um, so I figured if I could, uh, you know, start with maybe 30 households, I set just like a really low, well, at the time it felt quite lofty, you know, getting 30 households to sign on uh, to, to help, you know, get me to help them compost, uh, you know, maybe that would be a good place to start. So I borrowed my mom's Jeep Patriot and I uh, bought some used buckets, like five gallon buckets off of Kijiji. And I, I printed greener bin stickers and put them on the top. And then I just made a little website and put it out to the world and said, hi, the service is live. You can sign up here. Um, I'm looking to get 30 households by the end of the summer. And this was in June. I had launched it. Um, by, by September, I want to try and get 30 households. Can you help me out? Spread the word. Let's see what happens. Within 24 hours, I had 36 signups. So I was ahead of my summer long goal within 24 hours of launching. So that blew my socks off. Um, I really had no idea that was going to happen. And I've been kind of riding the wave of that shock and joy to have found something that was really going to work ever since. Um, just kind of building it incrementally, step by step. Uh, we got our first restaurant, I think about three months into the business, and then restaurants started coming in from there. We started into schools not long after, um, and uh, it, it just grew in ways that I never expected it to, to the point that I actually, uh, you know, I, I, I withdrew from school because I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with my courses and run this business. And it just, it just felt like the, the right way to go because everything I was in school for I was already doing in my daily life running my business, right? You know, I was helping the environment and, you know, connecting with community members and, and doing something of value for my, for my community, right? And for the world. Um, so it, I really hit the ground running with that. I, I eventually had enough revenue. I bought my own uh, pickup truck, just used off Kijiji. Kijiji's my best friend, honestly. Young entrepreneurs, go to Kijiji. Please don't buy new things. Yeah, and it, and it just went from there building, you know, revenue-driven, I guess just step by step, seeing what the next logical step was in terms of, uh, you know, adding new customers, adding new places to the route. Um, I got, uh, I started expanding the service to additional nearby municipalities. I started off just in Windsor and then, uh, and then it went to Tecumseh, LaSalle, Amherstburg, Lakeshore, Essex, Kingsville. Like I just, I just started, you know, expanding the radius, got some employees, but you know, the whole time it was step by step. What can I accomplish today? that will put me a little bit, you know, more prepared for tomorrow. Um, so really I'm just riding this wave. I'm still getting, you know, punched in the face with surprises and new challenges every day, but I, I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, it's just 
from day one has been a crazy ride that I never expected. And I still am figuring out how to drive the ship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's pretty much what it's like. You know, it's funny to say, you know, made it happen, but I still feel like it's, it's an active making and an active happening every day that I can just sometimes just grab the reins and participate in as best as I can. But uh, yeah, no, super grateful for every step of it and really just threw it out there and it, you know, I, snagged something so <laughs> still going with it yeah absolutely and well I mean and it's had an incredible impact on the community already and then yeah going back to grown lady garments do you want to talk a bit about you know how you got that up started running when you came back to Windsor as well and sort of what was your first step with that Absolutely. Um, so mine is still a baby business I'm not even a year old I launched actually just as COVID was starting <laughs> Um, <laughs> I know that was not planned. Um, yeah, so I, again, I've been writing about different environmental things in relation to fashion. And I actually, my mom owns a boutique and she's owned it for 10 years now. Um, so I'd always kind of been in the fashion industry and was really passionate about it and really wanted to combine kind of my knowledge and love of fashion and, and dressing up and, all of that with kind of those environmental benefits. Um, so yeah, when we came back, it didn't start right away again. It was all in that, in the writing and research, but you kind of get stuck in this research. And similarly to Dane, you just, you have to do something about it. And, and I get, he was really my push for it. And I started with the Epicenter program and I was really, really grateful to Sydney and the entire team um, at the Epicenter because I have a million ideas and sometimes I just don't know how to, put them into practice and again all the ideas kind of float in my head but actually putting them down and putting roots down is is the key to it so having someone say okay you know stop thinking about your first social media post and just do it and and introduce yourself and just start talking about it doesn't matter if you have product doesn't matter you know you can change things month to month day to day and um just you just have to start somewhere so it was really great to kind of have that guidance and the program ended in february of 2020 and my I wanted to have a launch kind of at the end of March and then mid-March, you know, COVID happened. So I thought I was going to wait it out and see, you know, in the summer if things kind of calm down. And then, you know, a few weeks in, it was the first week of April and I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to launch it. I'm just going to go for it. And I had no intention of doing any online um, selling. I wasn't going to have a website at first because I really wanted to stay away from online shopping because a big part of my brand is reconnecting with your clothing and reconnecting with your community over clothing, you know, to those who make your clothes and, and all of that. So I wanted to reintroduce people into like coming into a store and trying on a garment and actually loving it and loving how you feel in it, loving how you look in it and, and having, um, having brands that represent all bodies, all people and making you feel seen in all the marketing materials. So I was like, okay, no online, but then again, COVID kind of put us all online. So, you know, within that two weeks, I was like scrambling, trying to put a website up and do all this e-commerce stuff that I had no intention of doing. And also, again, it kind of, I had to bring that connection online because I couldn't do face-to-face -face interactions at first. We weren't really sure how bad it was going to be. Um, so I was, I really had to pivot super quickly and um, I launched and yeah, same thing within, you know, the hour I had like 11 11 people buy something from me and then I just delivered them and people were sending me photos and it was just this beautiful 
moment of community and connection over clothes that I didn't get to have in person, but you know, it was translated to online, but it was super unconventional and I kind of just had to wing it. And it was a really beautiful way of the world telling me you can't plan for anything. And it, you know, I think that's the most important thing that any potential business owner and aspiring business owner can know is that you can plan for months and months, but you have no idea what the business is going to be until you actually start it. And I think COVID taught all of us that this year is that you just, yeah, don't know what's going to happen in the next few weeks. So just got to be ready to roll with the punches. Yeah. And your business will change and let it, let it change. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs can definitely relate to that is you don't really even know what direction you want it to go to until you really get it started. It might be something completely different by the end, but that's, you know, that's just how it, how it goes. And it, I mean, it, and it ends up sort of how it's supposed to be. And, you know, with that too, you sort of talked about, you really wanted to have that connection of people with their clothes and also for you to really connect with them. Can you tell us also just about like the other sort of impact that you really hope that your business has on the community, um, you know, and especially in terms of fast fashion? Absolutely. So, I mean, there's kind of two elements to it, right? Um, With fast fashion, you have the people and the planet. And even each of those is kind of multi-layered because when you're talking about fast fashion, you have the people who are making the garments and it's predominantly women in countries and you know overseas and you've got bangladesh and you've got vietnam and you've got these these people in factories surrounded by chemicals and you know and they're not getting paid fairly and i don't have the stats in front of me but i mean they're pretty much everywhere you just have to look up fast fashion stats and it's like ridiculous they make something like under 200 dollars a month you know, for something that we pay for. And even when you look at those prices, right, and you're paying $5 for a t-shirt, you're like, how could this possibly be paying somebody, paying for shipping and paying for the actual material, right? So someone's getting the short end of the stick there. And even when you're thinking about growing that fabric, again, we're probably taking shortcuts there if we're able to make this t-shirt $5, there's no way that everything's being done sustainably and ethically so that's kind of teetering into the planet part too is that you know if we're cutting corners to make that product cheaper then we're probably using pesticides and we are right and even if we're seeing quote unquote natural fabrics like cotton and linen if they're grown unsustainably and you know we're using pesticides kind of like with our food then that's leaching into the environment it's getting into our clothes and it's ending up on our bodies so we kind of have that you know, double layer of, of people. We have the people who are in these unsafe environments and who are suffering health-wise. And in terms of it being women, mostly like reproductive health and all that stuff, right? It's, it's awful. And then we are wearing that clothes and all those chemicals are now ending up on our bodies. And it's just, if you're into like energy stuff and I'm like... I super am. So I'm like, if you're putting that on your body and it's like bad chemicals and bad energy, it's just not great altogether. So that kind of ties in with the connection bit too, is that when you know that the person who's making your clothing is getting treated fairly and the environment is treated well, you feel good. And also those materials feel really good. Like the whole point is just putting on these garments. It feels so amazing. And Dane can vouch for it too. He wears the same shirt oh. from his brand, Anna and Zach, that I bring it's in. It's so nice. <laughs> and 
honestly, it's that connection. It's that moment you put it on. You're like, this is the best thing I've ever put on my body. And it also is good for the environment and good for people. Like, and the thing with fast or the thing with slow fashion, sorry, is it is more expensive. Um, so when you see those prices immediately, you think, well, no, I'm not like how I thought, you know, I'm not paying $160 for a dress. I can get one for $30, but it's really breaking it down and, and educating ourselves about why, like how have we gotten used to a piece of clothing being $30? And that's mainly because we're used to buying five dresses at $30. Well, we don't need five dresses at $30. You can just buy one for 160 if you're able. And that's, we're all trying to break those barriers right now and, and try to make slow fashion more accessible because there is that whole element and I can just keep going down the rabbit hole of accessibility, but we're all working at it too. And it's, you know, there's no perfect answer, but if we can kind of just try to even switch our mindset and even just start thinking about where our clothing comes from and what impact it has, that that's a start, right? We don't have to totally flip our wardrobes to a sustainable one. I don't have a completely sustainable wardrobe because um, that's not sustainable, right? Like I don't have, you know, thousands of th and thousands of dollars to just flip my wardrobe. And also the clothing that exists in my closet exists. It's already been made. So I don't want to now throw that out. I mean, at one point I might be able to donate it or, or, um, or sell it, but you don't want it to kind of turn into a whole like, okay, let's Marie Kondo my whole closet and get it out and only bring good things. I mean, if you're in the position too, great, but, um, yeah, that was a very long winded answer to your question. <laughs> no, no, but I think you explained that so well and, you know, really talking about the impact that it has and, you know, just having people think about that when they are going to buy something, sort of what goes into it and where it's coming from, I think is a huge step. And I think that, you know, it's really great that you and your business are really sharing that story and sharing that knowledge for others to, you know, think about when going forward with that. And, you know, with that too, then with greener bins as well, Dane, if you'd like to share, you know, sort of about the impact of that on the community that it has had already, and also that you sort of hope it to go to in the future. My intention with Greener Bins has always been to really zero in on something that a lot of people don't think about. And uh, I think that that is the power that you have mm. with every single little piece of food that you eat. It's, it's like uh, Ali said earlier, everyone wears clothes, right? Also, everyone eats. So we, we, we're in this unique position where we, we can really have a have a discussion with virtually anyone about the the things that we're you know that we're that we're working with right so it's anytime that you have a piece of food in your hand i would love for people to think about not only where it came from but where it's going to end up oh, but yeah. what did it take to produce that apple like how many hands what kind of machinery what sort of shipping what sort of storage processing etc cetera, etc cetera, was involved in getting that apple into your hand and after you bite into it and you you know toss it wherever it's going to go what's its life cycle then if it goes in the trash, then it's going to go to a processing plant and then it's going to go to a transfer station and then it's going to go to a landfill and it's going to rot there forever and not ever have the chance to be reused. 
Now, if, if you look at nature, that's not how things work. That's not how anything works. There's no dead ends in nature whatsoever. And we are nature and our food is nature. So anytime that we are in disconnection with that cycle of constant renewal and constant motion of nutrients, then we're in trouble. So what I'd really like for everyone to see is that food has a story, not just in the way that it's grown. I think people are more in touch with that. Uh, you know, like realize, like a lot of people might know local farmers or might, you know, drive in the county and see an apple orchard or a big cornfield, might have a concept of where some of their food comes from. I think we can afford to have a lot more of that, uh, you know, knowledge of the way that our food is produced and how it comes to us. Um, but I'd really like for people to think about what happens once they're finished with their food. Um, because the, the difference between landfilling food waste and composting and renewing food waste is, is just about the largest <laughs> chasm of, of difference of different impacts that you could possibly have. Um, if you look at what happens when an apple goes to the landfill, it can take, you know, anywhere from 25 to 200 years to fully decompose. And that whole time it's doing so in an environment that's not suitable with proper decomposition. So you'll have, you know, excess gases coming out of the landfill. And we have a big problem in North America because there's so much uh, food waste and compostables going into the landfills when they decompose when you know when they're buried in garbage and paint and shingles and concrete and all the other crap that ends up in our landfills many of which also shouldn't be there um but uh it, it breaks down in such a way that methane is produced and methane is a greenhouse gas which is 21 times more powerful than co2 so every single time you condemn a piece of food waste off to the landfill um you're you know, signing up for accelerated uh, climate change or signing up for, uh, you know, more nutrient, uh, you know, depletion in our soils because the, the, the nitrogen, the phosphorus, the everything that's inside that apple doesn't go anywhere. It ends up in the landfill and it's done. Um, but when you compost something, you know, there's a net benefit of greenhouse gases because carbon is trapped in the compost as it's being created. And then uh, it's, it's just virtually better in every way because you, uh, you have renewal of resources. You can actually use the soil to grow food again um, you know, after, after you're finished with that apple. So the, the story doesn't have to end after you're finished with it. You know, it, it, can, it can continue beyond that. And, and even that's now at the, at the farm, we're actually growing food in the compost that we create. So we're doing lettuce and spring mix and herbs, tomatoes, carrots, things like that. So we're actually fully demonstrating the entire cycle of, of the food system, right? You know, we, we take food waste, we transform it into soil, which is a valuable, incredibly valuable resource. And then we grow food with it again, and we deliver that food back to the same households that we take food waste from. So it's, it's what I'd really like anyone who comes in contact with greener bins in any way to you know to take away from it is that food has a story and it's not linear it's a circle and it always should have been yeah that was amazing <laughs>
No, it was amazing. And I love, I love how, you know, you really took it to that next level of making it that full cycle. You know, it wasn't just for, for the composting. You also then, you know, reuse it and then you grow more food and then you are also giving back in so many different ways. And, you know, we've sort of talked about how both of the companies sort of came, came up and, you know, one of the resources that each of you had experienced was with Epicenter um, and the Libro social innovation program um and would you both like to just share sort of your experience with that and how it helped you with your business and maybe some of the things that you'd learn there absolutely um i know yeah i I mentioned a little a little bit ago but i really wouldn't have started my business without um the epicenter and i mean dane was there first and had the most incredible experience. Oh, I was the poster child. <laughs> for, like, I did I did every single program that Epicenter had. That I entire did. first year <laughs> of the business was just half yeah. Dane at the farm, half Dane at the Epicenter. Oh, it was wild. I did the discovery program. It's normally four months, but they extended it to seven for me. And then I did uh, I did the RBC Founders program. Um, I did the WeTech uh, scale-up program. I did the social innovation. Like it was, it was wild. I went to every single workshop. I I talked to every mentor. Mm. I made everyone sit down and listen to my wild soil based ideas. (laughs) Like it was without that place. uh, Oh man. It's, it's. Your business is highly complicated and, and you needed kind of all that. Oh, all yeah. the resources. There is, and, it, and it's unique, right? Like it's, it's, it's a model that it, I had no idea how I was going to make money <laughs> like, and make the whole thing sustainable and then get the word out there beyond my personal Facebook and everything. Right. So with that, you know, it was, I, I wouldn't be anywhere close to where I am without mm-hmm. the support uh, that I received there. And I would advise anyone that's ever even thought about mm-hmm. having their own business. Your first stop should be episode. Yeah. I referred so many people because I mean, yeah. again, and, and I knew that, that Dane meant it when he came home and he was just thrilled and he met so many awesome contacts. And that's, that's really the key to starting a business too, is the connections and And the support support system. Like you just, it's so hard to start a business and especially um, as a sole proprietor. Mm -hmm. And I mean, now we've teamed up on a lot of things, Dane and I, but you know, you were starting off on your own and then I was starting my stuff on my own and it's, it's a lot. But when you have the support of mentors and people who have done similar things, even though they're different businesses, they still know the ins and the outs of the industry. They know who they can connect you with. And it just, it takes your business so much further, right? It can take you in a year, what would have taken five. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And you know what, you know, what's really important with Epicenter too, is the local context. Yes. Cause it's, it's, you know, they're connected to all of the local resources, the local institutions, the places you can go to get help, um, you know, different partners that could, you know, help your business get to the next level. Like virtually anything that you need, um, they can just hook you up on a yeah. silver platter. It was wild. Yeah, no, it's so, so grateful for it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I mean, I, they definitely are like have a lot of great programs and I'm glad that, you know, both of you were able to sort of experience that and, you know, help it take your businesses to next level. And something that you mentioned there too, was sort of, you know, you're both entrepreneurs and you have your own businesses, but you both support each other um, with your businesses. And I'm just curious, you know, how do you both support each other with this? And then also, you know, managing your time while you're both running your own businesses too. Time, Sarah. <laughs> what time? Um, no, that that is a really good point. Like I said, <laughs> the first year of Greener Bins was pretty much just 
I was starting my freelance business at the time and, and writing a lot. So I was at home and then Dane was still doing pickups um, a lot of the time. Um, but when the growing kind of started, I jumped on board with Greener Bins as well. And um, first as admin, just because, again, I was on the computer doing writing and everything so and I didn't have time to answer emails. no there was no way he wasn't he was either in the car or in the field so there was no way for him to answer emails and I love community connection and um, customer service so yeah. I kind of jumped in on that side so that was that, the first easy way for us to kind of yeah. get working together and then we connection. noticed that it was a really good fit yeah um, we worked well together yeah surprise <laughs> but uh, yeah and it sort of just went from there in terms of uh you know, what we see for the future and, and what we can do with the two businesses together and kind of, and, you know, we're really both like big, big into the community and wanting mm -hmm. to support other local businesses and all that kind of stuff. So it's just, it's just exciting to work together and, mm -hmm. you know, be, be forward focused. And, and I mean, the businesses really are connected because like we've said, food and clothing, like we, we all wear clothes and we all eat food and they, there are ways to do both of them sustainably and traditionally they've been done poorly, right? Because they both start in the ground. They both start with the soil, right? You grow, um, you grow things to make clothes and you yeah, grow things styles. to have food, right? Yeah. It's all, it's all organics, but, and it all starts with soil. So they kind of do go hand in hand really. And they, so when we're like geeking out over soil, like it's, it's really for both of us. And when <laughs> I look at soil and look at what, the agriculture and the fashion industry has done to the soil it just like it drives us nuts mm -hmm. right so it's we're both connected through that but just in our own way and then yeah I had to hop on the growing mm -hmm. part because I love I love gardening and I love growing food so when when Dane kind of started growing food on on the property I was like I'm in I want to do this <laughs> so that really got us connected too because really there's nothing more important than than food and having access to good nutrient dense food so and you um, get nutrient dense food and you get well-made clothes from healthy soil yeah period yeah yeah that's kind of the the root of it all haha <laughs> 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 yes absolutely i love that and you know also too like they're connected in many ways and also both of your businesses really just educating um the community as well oh, on yeah. those issues and you know spreading those messages um, which I think is so important. And you talked a bit about too, you know, how things have changed with the pandemic. And so I was just curious, you know, you've, you talked a bit too about, you know, even launching during the pandemic. Um, is there any other ways that this has affected your business or has there been another challenge that you've had to overcome that you'd like to share? The pandemic offered some really interesting opportunity to rethink the way that I was doing things. <laughs> so, uh, I like, mean, it brought us working together. Like the pandemic gave us the time to start growing and working. Yeah. Well, basically like there. collections stopped, you know, like yeah. rest, restaurants closed, schools closed. Uh, and, and we shut down our pickup service for our, for our residential, which is sort of the, the core of the business. Right. Um, so suddenly we had an enormous amount of time. Yeah. Um, and uh, similar to what, you know, millions of people experienced. And, and so we, we sort of just threw that into uh, what we normally do in the spring, which is kind of get our, our home garden going. Only we did it on half an acre instead yeah. of, you know, <laughs> instead of 200 square feet. <laughs> so we, we yeah. really had the opportunity to get the farm going um, and start to demonstrate that closed loop model, which is something that we weren't going to do 
at least for, I would say several years yeah. uh, down the line. Um, but it was, it was just the opportunity of presented time. itself. Yeah. Yeah. The opportunity of time presented yeah. itself. Um, and, uh, yeah, we really got to explore that avenue of the business. And then when everything sort of came back online, uh, you know, the collection restarted, uh, we started offering, uh, home food delivery. Um, yeah. and that was crazy cool because people were super jazzed about eating food that's grown from what we picked up from them. You know, it's just, yeah, just a wild, year. yeah, wild enterprise. No, no, and no. then, uh, and then, you know, everything that you did in early grown lady garments was in response to Absolutely. navigating the pandemic and the, you know, going online really fast and just delivering it in person, but like kind of waving from the car. It was, just, you know, I know. It, was, it was so wild. Not the way we thought it was going to go, but. No, uh, but it was good. And yeah. now, and now things, you know, they're by no means normal, but you know, I get to connect with people in person now. And I think people really value local a lot more. Way more. And I mean, Maybe I no, it can't just be us. Like I really think that the local the local hub is kind of turning into a a bit of a buzz yeah. now. I think what happened is people started to clue in about where everything that they from. get comes from. And that that could stop really quickly. <laughs> yeah, really quickly. And like, you know, if trucks stop coming, where does your food come from? Right. You know, if, if trucks stop coming, where, where do your clothes come from? It's, it's a lot of perspective and a mm. lot of, uh, wow, I have to support local businesses because if I don't do that, there won't be any. You know, it's right. like that started, I think that that dropped in a way that it couldn't it have. profoundly couldn't have no. yeah without without such a drastic overhaul of our entire political and economic system yeah like it's it's uh yeah so it's we, we've seen we've seen you know ups and downs and chaos because of it but i think there's a lot of small businesses that are in uh that, that are going to be better off because of that mentality mm -hmm. switch you know just just in the population people realizing the importance of small producers and uh and you know geographic you know close closeness <laughs> you know, just having things produced close to you right yeah yeah That's yeah. yeah 100 percent. i agree and i think that there definitely has been you know that shift for supporting local which is which is great to see and you know hopefully that continues on and you know you i love the approach that both of you were able to take with the situation and you know with that too both running social enterprises um do you have just sort of one key piece of advice that you would give to someone who's maybe looking to start a social enterprise i'm gonna steal from a really good speaker and uh, author that inspired me a lot uh, when I was first starting uh, Greener Bins, and that's Simon Sinek. Uh, he has a lot of good TED Talks and uh, and some really, really powerful novels um, that I would advise anyone who is interested really in doing anything <laughs> um, that that endeavor it has quite a bit of ambition to do. It's uh, start with why mm. is, is the advice that I will always give. Um, and it, that means start with why you want to do something, not how can I do it or what can I do? It's why. It's why are you doing it? And for us, we have such strong whys. It's, you know, it's, it's to educate, to empower, and to, and to actually make really powerful local change in these key areas, which is what we wear and what we eat and, and what we do after we eat things. You know, it's like, so it's, it's starting with why and looking for a problem 
that can be solved by your means at your scale in your community. So I would say, why do you want to do what you want to do? And just look for a problem that you think you can solve. And probably there are, is a problem that you very uniquely are positioned to solve. Mm-hmm. And I would challenge you to find that. I love that. I was going to say a similar thing, more just the, just start kind of like how I was telling my beginning story and how, you know, I was caught up in waiting and, you know, was I going to wait COVID out? And then I just had to jump in and do it. And it wasn't what I expected. And I just kind of had to run with it and not know what to expect. And I think that, you know, just starting and it, that's the scariest step is taking that first step but it's never going to be the right time. It's never going to be the perfect moment. Mm-hmm. You know, no one's going to come out and say, yeah, do this. Like, or maybe a bunch of people are going to say it to you and you might not be ready to hear it, but you just kind of have to do it. And it's going to be scary no matter when you do it. So it's just better to just dive in and um, to play off of it. I'm going to cheat and do like a secondary one, do it and ask for help. Um, because there's so much help out there and not even just professional like mentors or the epicenter, but even just friends and family, like, like Dane did, right? Post on Facebook, ask your friends and family, would you do this? Would you be interested in this? And ask for genuine feedback and and take it, right? If someone says, you know, I'm not really into this, ask them why, ask them what you could change because, you know, those are going to be your first supporters and consumers. And then that's going to, branch off from there, but taking their advice is going to be so invaluable to your business. And, you know, we can get so like our egos can get hurt at the beginning when we're starting and someone tells us that like one aspect of it doesn't work, but that's okay. Take it. It, you know, it hurts for a sec, but it it benefits you in the long run. So that's kind of my cheat to do it, ask for help. Yes, definitely. I think both of those are really great pieces of advice that anyone can, you know, take and go with. And where is it that people can go to find each of your businesses and purchase your products as well as sign up for greener bins? Woohoo! Uh, so the easiest way right now is just go on, uh, well, we have an Instagram, a Facebook, it's Greener Bins Compost. Although in the spring, uh, we're going to be changing our name to uh, well, we're keeping the greener, but uh, something else is switching around. But that'll all be on the social media. So we're easy to find. <laughs> Just Greener Bins Compost. We have a website, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Greener Bins, you'll find us. Yeah. <laughs> and same thing for me. I've got Facebook, um, Instagram, and a website, and it's all at Grown Lady Garments. Thank you for listening to Made It Happen Podcast and this special edition segment brought to you by the Libro Epic Social Impact Initiative. Their Social Enterprise 101 coaching service, sponsored by Libro Credit Union, is aimed to support local community members who are working to start a social enterprise. Through this initiative, you will receive coaching, resources, tools, and networks to help you build a thriving social enterprise. This program is valued at over $500 and is free for all participants. Visit epicenterwindsor.ca slash social enterprise 101 coaching to learn more. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and tune in next month on the 15th for the special editions segment.